Welcome to another episode of Silk and Steel podcast. Today is July thirty first, twenty nineteen, and we will continue the Chinese history podcast series that I have started. Last time, we started from the very beginning of Chinese history, starting from the three sovereigns and. The top emperor of the five emperors. Today, we will continue the stories of five emperors. But first, I would like to talk about my source. Siji, or the record of the Grand Historian, is a monumental history of ancient China, finished around 94 BC by Han Dynasty historian Sima Qian. The Grand Historian. The name, the record of the Grand Historian, is a direct translation from the original Chinese title, Tai Si Gong Su. In Chinese, the book is more commonly known simply as Si Ji, or the Record of History. The story of three sovereigns with demigod Fu Xi, goddess Nuiwa. And that weirdo Sun Nong with his transparent stomach is simply too much gods and monsters for Sima Qian. He decided not to include them in what he planned to be a serious historical record. So he opens his magnum opus with the stories of five emperors. But he ran into a problem: that the oldest Chinese history text, book of documents. A.K.A. Classic of History, or in Chinese, Sang Su, only starts with Emperor Yao. For Sima Qian, Yellow Emperor, which came before Yao, is simply too important to be left out. So he researched old Confucian texts as well as gathered oral traditions. But then he realized. There's still too much gods and myth around Yellow Emperor's story, and different sources have wild different account, and oral traditions vary greatly depending on locale. In the end, Sima Qian took what to be the most common story about Yellow Emperor that he considered are basic facts, and he wrote them down. That is why. In the story of five emperors, Yellow Emperor's description is brief: just his rise to power, defeat of Yan Di or Flame Emperor, so original sovereign, and challenger warrior King Siyou. Then some brief passage about his wife and sons. The most detailed description in the stories of five emperors. Are reserved for the last two. You don't really need to know the middle two emperors following Yellow Emperor, because most Chinese today don't know them either. So I'm not going to waste time covering their stories. Our stories today begin with Emperor Yao. Remember, Yao is how the oldest Chinese history text. Classic of history, Sang Su begins. Yao 
is a descendant of Yellow Emperor. His brother was an unremarkable ruler, so Yao was elected to replace him. Unlike his unremarkable brother, Yao truly shined. In Sima Qian's words, Emperor Yao's compassion is boundless like the sky, wisdom godlike. To be close to him is like to bathe in the rays of sun, warms to your heart. To look up to him, his splendid like clouds in the sky, blessing earth with rain. Is rich but not haughty, noble yet humble. He respects talented men. Delegate each to post suitable to their abilities. He makes sure people live with love and harmony. He inspects officials, making sure they're performing their duty. Under his leadership, all tribes lived in peace. He sends out able men to all corners of the realm to observe position of sun, moon, and stars throughout the year. In order to make accurate calendar, so people will know when to start planting and harvesting. The calendar was made 366 days in one year, and uses leap month correct for season. Now I'm not going to great details about the old Chinese calendar before Han Dynasty. Suffice to say, it was still a bit wonky. It changed from original solar calendar. To a lunar solar calendar. In fact, it was during Han Dynasty, at the time of our grand historian Sima Qian, that Emperor Han Wudi ordered Sima Qian himself to put together the very first well-documented calendar in Chinese history to fix the wonkiness of the calendars of previous dynasties. But the point here is that Yao put his realm in order. He's a uniter of people. He got things done by putting right people to work on right tasks. In other words, Yao is an ideal ruler. Since everything is in order, Yao sets out to do the most important task for the continued success of his realm: finding a successor. Who can succeed my legacy? Yao asks. Fang Qi's advisor says, "Your son Dan Zhu is a smart man." Yao scoffed, "Dan Zhu is an idiot and cruel. He will not succeed me." Then he asked, "Anybody else?" Another advisor, Huan Dou, says, "Gong Gong is popular and accomplished. He will be up to task." Yao scoffed again. Gong Gong talks a good game. But his heart is not sincere. He only appears to be humble to cheat the heaven. He will not do. Yao then asked, "My four advisers, great flood ravages the land, people suffers. Who can lead the fight against a great deluge?" Here we're introduced to another great foundational myth of Chinese culture: the great flood. In China, the Great Flood is seen as natural disaster rather than universal punishment of human sin. We already seen a reference to Great Flood in the Goddess Ruwa myth 
that we have covered in the previous episode. As you will see, just like in case of Liuwa minting the heaven, Chinese great flood myth emphasized the heroic effort to mitigate the disaster. More on that later. Four advisors suggested Gun for the task of taming the flood. Yao shake his head. Gun goes against heaven's will. He will destroy his clan. He cannot be used. Four advisor now pleaded, please give him a shot. If he is not up to task, you can always replace him. Yao relented and appointed Gun to obtain the flood. Nine years have passed. Still no results. This passage shows Yao is a good judge of character. But at the same time, he lessens and is open to suggestions. He doesn't always insist it's either my way or the highway. But it turns out, Yao's initial judgment was correct. Yao then said, I have reigned for 70 years. Who among you can accept the mandate of the heaven and take my place? Four advisors then said, our characters are base. We don't want to stain the position of the throne. Yao says, Then recommend from among leaders within or without the clan, or among wise hermits. Everyone then said to Yao, There's this one commoner bachelor named Sun. Yao says, Ah, I heard of him. How is his character? For advisor, He's a blind man's son. His father is stupid. His stepmother stubborn. His half-brother arrogant. But Xuan could live with all of them in harmony and fulfill his filial duty. Put his home in order and make sure his relatives do no evil. Xuan descends from Yellow Emperor. But last five generations of his family all lived as commoners. His father is blind. His stepmother gave birth to his younger half-brother, Xiang. In Chinese, Xiang literally means elephant. Brother Elephant is very arrogant because he was spoiled from birth. Xun's father likes Brother Elephant over Xun and wants his younger son to take over his inheritance. So he thinks of ways to kill Xun off. But Xuan always finds a way to dodge the bullet, so to speak. His father would then punish him severely for every little mistakes. But Xuan still performed his filial duty carefully, serving his father, stepmother, and half-brother. Xuan worked in many places all over the land. Whenever his family wants to kill him, they couldn't find him. But whenever his family is in need, he appears by their side to help. By the time he's 20, his filial piety is already well known throughout the land. When he was 30, Yao asked four advisors to recommend a successor, and all four recommended Xuan. So Yao married two of his daughters to Xuan to observe his character at home and led nine of his sons to work alongside Xuan to observe his conduct outside. 
Yao's two noble daughters put away aristocratic air and lived with feminine virtues in his humble abode, and treated Sun's family with utmost respect. Yao's nine sons, who worked with him, became more honest and dependable over time. This is like a reverse Cinderella story with Chinese characteristics. When Sun works a farm in Mount Li, local all put away boundary disputes and try to give their neighbors a better share of the land. When Sun is fishing in Lake Lei, local fishermen all share with others the best fishing spot. Sun making pottery on the bank of Yellow River. There are no defective potteries. Apparently, Sun's shining moral example is enough for quality control. Whenever he lives, one year you will become a village, two year it becomes a small town, by third year you will transform into a metropolis. Emperor Yao was impressed. Yao sent Sun some fine clothes, a qin, which is a Chinese string instrument, kind of a, like a Chinese scyther, built for Sun a granary and gift him cows and sheep. But Sun's father still wants to kill him. Okay, we already established that Sun's father is stupid and blind. So Sun's old man asked Sun to fix the roof of the granary. And while Sun is up there making repairs, his old man set fire. Sun had with him two straw hats. This is what people in the West call coolie hats with a pointing top. So Sun used the two straw hats as parachute and jumped down to escape. His blind and stupid dad then asked him to dig a well. While Sun was down there digging, he made a side tunnel to outside. So Sun knows what's up. When he was deep in the well, his dad and brother elephant started to pour down earth to bury him alive. Sun made his escape through the side tunnel. Brother elephant and blind old man all thought they finally killed him and all rejoiced, start celebrating. Brother elephant said, this was all my idea. So he started to divide up Swin's property with his parents. Brother Elephant says, I want Yao's fine two daughters and Yao's qin, the ancient Chinese string instrument. Cows and sheep and granaries can go to the parents. So Brother Elephant move, happily moved into Swin's home and start to caress Swin's qin, Chinese string instrument. Just then, Sun comes back. Brother Elephant was in shock. But then he appeared sad. He said, I was missing you so much, I was bummed out. Sun said, Oh, you are such a bro. Sun still carried on as before, as nothing had happened, serving his parents and brother with even more care than before. Yeah, I would too. Yao then appointed Sun to the high office of Situ, minister over masses, making sure people follow five virtues at home. So the five virtues are father taking responsibility for the children, 
and the family. Mother showing compassion to the to her children. Elder brother showing love to younger brother. Younger brother showing respect to elder brother. People all diligently followed. Yao then led Sun administer to officials. Officials all followed order. Clan of Gaoyang had eight descendants. They were known for their kindness. Clan of Gaoxin had eight descendants, known for their goodness. Now Gaoyang and Gaoxin are just another name for the two emperors that follow Yellow Emperor.、Um, there were two middle emperors of the five emperors that I decided not to mention. Oh, here I just mentioned them. Yao didn't use them. Sun used the eight kind men to administer the land. Then Sun used the eight good men to propagate five familial virtues to ensure harmony at home and peace and love among neighbors. Clan of Di Hong. Now all these clans descended from Yellow Emperor, by the way. Clan of Di Hong has a descendant who holds bandits, likes to do evil. He's called Hun Dun, meaning barbaric and uncivilized. Clan of Sao Hao had a descendant who betrayed trust and righteousness, dislikes honesty and uprightness, instead likes evil speech. He is called Chongqi, meaning strange and odd. Clan of Zhuangxu had a descendant who can't distinguish good advice from the bad. He is called Tao Tao Wu. Meaning mean and stubborn, these three lived during Yao's reign. Yet Yao didn't get rid of them. Clan of Jingyun had a descendant who is greedy glutton. There's no limit to his greed. People called him Tao Tie, which means bottomless greed. He, together with the other three, were known as the Four Meanies. 四恶 Sun exiled the four bad apples to far-flung regions to fight evil demons. People now say there's no more bad people. Now these four meanies are actual、um, figures in the Chinese mythology.、Uh, it is said that they were so mean that people actually carved them. In stone statues, like gargoyles, to ward off evil. Even today, you can still see statues on buildings of these four. Yao then sent Sun into mountains, jungles, swamps, and riverlands. Even during thunderstorm, Sun never lost his way. So this is kind of a rites of passage. For Sun, Yao is satisfied that Sun possesses the highest intelligence and virtue. So he calls on Sun, saying, "I observed you for three years. You are meticulous and a man of your words. Now why don't you ascend the throne?" Sun says his virtue is not enough, and declined. On the New Year Day. Sun accepted Yao's 禅藏 in Yao's ancestral temple, 
Tanzang is a ceremony where the emperor abdicates in favor of more talented men. Yao is now old. He lets Sun take over his tasks as acting emperor. Use the time to observe whether Sun as emperor is truly heaven's will. Now, this is an interesting passage because the previous passage seemed to indicate that Yao already handed the throne to Sun. But this sentence in the record of Grand Historian suggests that Yao is only delegating the emperor's task to Sun. And Sun is only functioning as an acting emperor. Sun then observes Big Dipper in the heaven, monitor whether Sun, Moon, Venus, Jupiter, Mercury, Mars, and Saturn, whether the five planets' paths are out of the order. Chinese names for these planets are Jinmu, Sui, Huo, Tu, Gold, Wood, Water, Fire, Earth, the five elements. So these are the five elements of, of the Chinese culture. There's a belief that the, the five elements follow each other like circle of life. Sun then made sacrifice to the spring god, Sang Di. Burn sacrifice over fire to heaven and earth. Remotely sacrifice to famous mountains and rivers. And then made sacrifice to gods everywhere. This is important because one of the main function of ancient Chinese ruler is to make ritual sacrifice, to appease the gods, to pray for good harvest, peace, and harmony. In the second month, he made inspection to the east, to Mount Tai, in today's Shandong province. That's a peninsula that's just below Beijing, jutting out toward Yellow Sea in the direction of Korea. And Mount Tai is uh, one of the famous mountains in China and one of the most sacred. There, Sun made burning sacrifice to Mount Tai. He called gathering of chieftains in the east, standardized ritual music, weights and measures, as well as rituals and ceremonies. Established protocols for chieftains to pay homage to the emperor. In the fifth month, he inspected south. Eighth month, inspected west. Eleventh month, north. Each place he visited, he established rules as he had done in the east. After he came back, he sacrificed a bull to the ancestral temple. Thereafter, he made inspection tours every five years. In between, chieftains throughout the land are required to come to capital to pay homage during designated time. Sun tells chieftains the way of governing. Based on each chieftain's deeds, give out rewards for a job well done. Sun then divided the realm, Tian Xia, all under heaven, into 12 prefectures. He instituted proper punishment for transgressions, used Exile to replace cutting off nose, tattooing face, cutting off foot, castration, and beheading. Use whips within government courts, rulers within school for punishment. Gold can be used to compensate for crime committed. Mistakes due to natural disasters are given amnesty. Repeat offenders are punished. 
but physical punishment must be carefully considered and sparingly used. One of Yao's advisor, Huan Dou, had recommended Gong Gong. Despite Yao saying no, this advisor, Huan Dou, still appointed Gong Gong as the master of crafts. But as predicted by Yao, Gong Gong led his evil underlings run amok. When Sun came back from his inspection tour, he reported back to Yimper Yao, asked to exile Gong Gong to Yolin, or the hills of Yo. This is a hilly region north of Beijing. Sun asked to exile Gong Gong to, to civilize the Bei Di. Bei is the Chinese for north. Di is what ancient Chinese referred to non-Chinese people to their north. So Gong Gong is, is exiled to the north of Beijing to deal with northern barbarians. Advisor Huan Dou, who recommended Gong Gong and appointed Gong Gong despite Yao's objection, is then exiled to Mount Chong, south of Yangtze River, to deal with Nan Man. Nan is Chinese for South. Man is what Chinese people call non-Chinese people to their South. So Huan Dou is exiled to deal with Southern barbarian. Four advisors of Yao recommended Gun to tame the flood. Yao said no, but the four insisted. The result? Gun spent nine fruitless years combating the Great Flood. Sun asked Yao to exile Gun for his incompetence to Mount Yu to tame Dong Yi. Dong is Chinese for yeast. Yi is what Chinese call the non-Chinese to their east. So Gun is exiled to deal with the eastern barbarians. San Miao, literally three tribes of Miao, there are actually more than three but it's rather a collective name for a very powerful southern tribal confederation. And the San Miao is making disturbances from the Yangtze River Valley. Sun asked Yao to exile the entire tribal confederation of San Miao to Mount Sangwei in the west to civilize Xizong. Xi is Chinese for west. Zong is what Chinese call non-Chinese people to their west. So San Miao was exiled to deal with the Western barbarians. This is a passage from the Record of Grand Historian by Sima Qian. Sima Qian largely rely on the oldest Chinese history text, Book of Records, Book of Documents, or aka Classic of History in Chinese, Sang Su, for the story of four exiles. This narrative represents a particular point of view, specifically Confucian worldview. Because it, this version of Sang Su, or classic of history, that Sima Qian relied on for much of his source for this period, was edited by none other than Confucius himself. Sima Qian himself largely agreed with Confucius' view of history as a morality tale to teach posterity. So here we have sage ruler Sun, who is considered the ideal rulers by Confucians, institute order in a hierarchical world that's ruled by an emperor, 
and everyone under heaven is his subject. But according to other sources, things look a bit different. In the pre-Qin Dynasty book, Lietz Tangwen, Gong Gong is said to be the great grand, the great great grandson of Yan Di, a flame emperor. The sovereign was overthrown by the Yellow Emperor, and Gong Gong fought with the grandson of Yellow Emperor Zhuang Xu for the throne. Again, Zhuang Xu is one of the five emperors that I neglected mention because very few Chinese today know about him. Defeated Gong Gong went berserk and hit his head on the pillars that supported the heaven. He broke the pillar and the heaven collapsed. Sounds familiar? Yup, this was a story sometimes associated with a goddess Nuiwa, the goddess that had to mend the heaven. The story we cover in the first episode. But in this version, the pillar was a relic of Nuiwa who had mended the heaven before. So again, this Gong、uh, Gong is、uh, really a, a, a figure from Chinese mythology, and these. Early Chinese mythology are just like Greek mythology. They're different stories that were told at different times. Sometimes they were stringed together later, try to make a coherent narrative, but you will see discrepancies now and then. According to Han Dynasty book Huainan's, which is earlier than Sima Qian's record of his grand historian, previously imprisoned Gong Gong was released. During the time of Emperor Yao and Sun, and he caused great flood. In other legend, Gong Gong is actually god of water, and he caused a great flood. So, in many versions, Gong Gong is associated with a great flood Chinese myth. But for Sima Qian, these other sources just have way too many gods and monsters to his liking, so he did not use them. Now there's an explanation that Gong Gong, or rather the clan of Gong Gong, is actually a tribe that fought Yellow Emperor. It fought the Yellow Emperor descended tribes for dominance. And Huan Dou, who in this story is Yao's advisor, who recommended Gong Gong, is also not quite what he seems. According to San Haijing Classics of Mountain and Seas, a book dating from Warring States period, that is before the unification of China, Huan Dou is a son of Zhuang Xu. Remember Zhuang Xu? I said is one of the five emperors that I decide not to name. <laughs> so Zhuang Xu is a grandson of Yellow Emperor. So that will make Huan Dou the great grandson of Yellow Emperor. And Huan Dou is a progenitor or the chief of San Miao, the powerful tribal confederation based in the, in the Yangtze River Valley in the south. Again, San Haijing Classics of Mountain and Seas is one of those books that Sima Qian considered to have too many gods and monsters to include in his in his、uh, magnum opus. Now it must be worth mentioning, though. That Zhuang Xu, the grandson of Yellow Emperor, one of the five emperors that did not name, did not pass down the throne to his own son. Rather, the throne was inherited by Ku, by Ku, 
from another branch of yellow emperor's descendants. Ku is the third of the five emperors that I neglected to mention. So of the five emperors, there's yellow emperor, there's strong Shui, there's Ku, and then there's Yao and Sun. So I, the reason I did not mention Ku, it's the same reason I didn't mention Zhuang Xu. Many Chinese today don't remember him. And his most claim to fame is that he's the father of Emperor Yao. So here we have Huandou, a son of Emperor Zhuang Xu, who understandably may not be happy that Yao is sitting on the throne rather than himself. And as a head of a powerful Sanmiao tribal confederation, he may just be tempted to make a power grab. So now we're getting a picture that Gong Gong, Huandou, and Sanmiao, rather than advisors or subjects of Emperor Yao that was exiled for demerit, these are actually independent tribal confederations that fought for power and dominance. They were defeated and they were pushed out of the core central plain area after their defeat. So this is quite a different picture from the hierarchical and bureaucratic world ruled by one emperor since time immemorial that, that's presented by the Confucians. I will have more on the ancient sources that brings to question of the Confucian narrative history later. For now, let's return to the story of Yao, Emperor Yao and Sun. After exile of four of Yao's advisors and subjects, people all under heaven now submitted to Sun's ruling, Wunchu. After eight years of Sun serving as acting emperor, old Emperor Yao passed away. So for three years, people mourned his passing. So no music played anywhere. Yao realized his son Dan Zhu is not worthy. So try with Sun, gave the throne to Sun. All under heaven benefited except for Dan Zhu. But if Yao had given the throne to Dan Zhu, disaster will befall all under heaven. Only Dan Zhu alone will benefit. Yao said, I can't let people all under heaven suffer for my son's benefit. So at last, Yao gave the throne to Sun. After three years of mourning period for Emperor Yao, Sun gave the throne back to Yao's son, Dan Zhu, and went in hiding in the southern bank of the Yellow River. But chieftains do not come to Dan Zhu to pay homage, but rather come to Sun. They don't sing in praise of Dan Zhu, but they sing in praise of Sun. Sun said, ah, this must be heaven's will. So he returned to the capital and took the throne. There were a group of 22 men that came recommended during Emperor Yao's time, but never received official appointment. Sun came to the ancestral temple to discuss matters with four advisors. He opened four doors to understand matters in all four directions. He led governors of 12 prefectures to discuss virtues required of the emperor. 
All said, must perform deeds of great virtue. Stay away from psychophants and ass kissers. Only this way, people from afar will sub- submit to the imperial rule. Sun then said, "Who then can do their best to bring glory to Emperor Yao's legacy, to perform great deeds?" All said, "Yu can bring glory to Emperor Yao's legacy." Sun says, "Very well, Yu. You will be responsible for taming the Great Flood. Please do a good job." Yu kowtowed in thanks, but made motions to give the position away to others. Sun says, "Enough, now go." Sun then turned to Qi. Qi, Qi, people are starving. You will be in charge of agriculture. Go. He turned to another Qi. This is the same song, but written with different Chinese characters. Chi, official are fighting among themselves. You will be in charge of them to teach them proper manners and five virtues. Sun then turned to Gao Yao. Gao Yao, barbarians are invading the central plains, killing and looting in our borders. You will be magistrate to administer the law. You must deal out proper punishment for each transgression. Punishment for capital crime to be carried out in the field, next level in the city, for reduced sentence to exile, you must determine the distance of exile based on severity of their crime. Either exile outside our border, or outside nine provinces, or outside the capital. Only when you uphold justice will people trust in your rule. Then Sun asked. Who can administer my craftsmen? All said Cui can. Sun then appointed Cui as master of craftsmen. Sun then asked, "Who can administer my mountains and lakes?" All recommended Yi. Sun then appointed Yi to be the warden of mountains and lakes. Yi kowtowed, but wanted to give position to two other men. Sun said, "Go, you will do." The two others can be your assistant. No, in ancient China, mountains and lakes are property of the sovereign. All plants and animals produced within are royal property. So this is why he needed a park ranger. Sun then asked for advisors. Who can take my place to preside over sacrifice to heaven, earth, and human? All recommended Bo Yi. Sun then said to Bo Yi, "I appoint you be the chief priest, responsible for sacrifice. You must be just, solemn, and clean." Bo Yi wants Kui and Long to take his place instead. Sun says, "Fine. Kui will preside over music, teach sons of nobles in the ways of ritual music. You must be honest and compassionate." Tolerant yet strict, just, not cruel, simple, not arrogant. Poem is to express inner feelings. Song is to give the rhythm and tempo to poems. Tune must match the lyrics. Must make music harmonize. Eight instruments must work in harmony. 
That's how you connect mortals with gods through music. Kui says, "I when I beat on my resting stone bells with temple, even animals will start to dance." In ancient China, music is very important part of the ritual sacrifice to gods, so it's taken very seriously. Sun then said to Long, "I really detest people who make libel, harass my subject, and do evil. I will appoint you as my messenger. You will relay my orders and report back to me what you see. You must be honest and truthful." Sun then said. You twenty-two people must be meticulous about your task. Always help me to administer the realm that heaven has entrusted to me. Thereafter, Xun will inspect officials to evaluate their performances every three years. After three evaluations, he decides whether to promote or demote. Soon, everything is falling into order. Based on their submissiveness, Xun then split up the three Miao tribal confederation. Twenty-two people all perform admirably in their posts, especially Yu. He tamed the great flood. We will talk about his story in a separate episode. Efficient and benevolent administration all began with Emperor Xun. No. These twenty-two people are all important figures in early Chinese mythology. Here, they're incorporated in the Confucian text as loyal retainers of the great Emperor Sun. On the thirty-ninth year of his reign, Emperor Sun died during his southern inspection tour, buried on the southern bank of Yangtze River. Sun's son. Sang Jun cannot be trusted with great enterprise, so Sun recommended Yu to the Spring God in Heaven to inherit his throne. Now an echo of Emperor Yao here. After three years of mourning, Yu gave the throne back to Sun's son Sang Jun, just like Sun once did for Yao's son Dan Zhu. But just like last time. Chieftain pay homage to Yu rather than Sun's son, so Yu ascended to the throne in fief Yao's son Dan Zhu and Sun's son Sang Jun. Above is the story of the last of five emperors in the record of grand historian Sima Qian. Yao and Sun are seen as the ultimate ideal Confucian ruler. And their reign were seen as the golden age. As I mentioned earlier, Sima Qian based on this portion of his magnum opus on earlier Confucian texts, particularly classics of history edited by Confucius himself. And Sima Qian largely subscribed to Confucius' view of history as moral tales, teachable moments. To admonish and teach the posterity. So this version of story has since become canon because the record of histor grand historian, like I said, is a monumental work of Chinese history. But later discovery 
would challenge this version of history. There's a reason Sima Qian based his works primarily on Confucian texts, because through a twist of history, by Sima Qian's time, only Confucian history from pre-Qin dynasty or pre-unification of China have survived. This is because when the first emperor Qin unified China in 220 BC, he issued an order to burn all history books not produced by the Qin kingdom. So only the Qin version of history will be orthodoxy. But this was aimed at books circulating in public space. Copies of history books from all other kingdoms were hauled and stored inside the imperial library at the Qin palace, the famous Erpang palace. Then, as we later will tell the story, rebels took hold of Qin capital, burned down the entire Erpang palace with all its library. This is a great loss in Chinese history of written records before Qin dynasty. A Confucian scholar, Fu Sen, had hide Sang Su, Book of Documents, aka Classic of History, that was edited by Confucius. He hide them inside the walls of his home when the first emperor had first issued a book burning order. After the Qin dynasty collapsed, so many decades later, he took out the books, but already more than 10 chapters had rotted away. So when Fusen is already 90 years old, the Han Dynasty Emperor Han Wendi sent people to locate him and had him <coughs> orally dictate the last, last chapters. This is how the version of Chinese ancient history survived. And this is why Sima Qian largely relied on it as primary source. But 300 years after Sima Qian had written the record of Grand Historian, in year 279 AD in West Jin Dynasty, a tomb robber broke into the tomb of King Xiang of Wei Kingdom. This is the Wei Kingdom of Warring States period before Qin unification. Inside the tomb were found copious history documents written on bamboo slips. These were known as Zhu Su Ji Nian, or Bamboo Annal. Basically, the official history according to Wei Kingdom, because it was entombed in year 296 BC, 76 years before Qin unification, so the record managed to survive intact underground. Bamboo annals recorded the same characters over the same time period as Sang Su Book of Documents. But the tales he tells are drastically different. The worldview contained in Bamboo annals is much darker. Think of Sang Su Book of Documents and the other Confucian texts, as well as a record of Grand Historian on this part of the, the Chinese ancient history as the Disney version of the early Chinese history. 
the bamboo annals will be like the Game of Thrones version. Here, I will review my personal biases. From being a student of Chinese history for more than 30 years, poring over different Chinese texts, unless I have evidence to the contrary, between the Disney version and the Game of Thrones version of early Chinese history, I'm going to go with the Game of Thrones versions every time. So the central theme of the Emperor Yao and Sun story in the record of Grand Historian, as well as the Sangshu Book of Documents, is that they pass on the throne unselfishly to the most able person, rather than favoring their own sons for the good of the people and their realm. And this, uh, this unselfishness and this dedication to serve people is what made them ideal rulers according to all the Confucian texts. Here's what Bamboo Annals recorded. Emperor Yao grew old, and his prestige was waning. Sun imprisoned Emperor Yao, prevented Yao's son Danzu to contact him, and took the throne. Next episode, I will talk about Yi the Great, who took the throne after Sun and starting of China's first recorded dynasty. And the last but not the least, the Great Flood in Chinese myth. Thank you for listening. Until next time. Bye-bye.